we are so blessed in this church with so many amazing teachers and I have been hearing all week the blessing you received as uh, Pastor Howe ministered last week and uh, I'm just so thankful I can go in confidence knowing that you're going to be well fed even when I'm gone so thankful for Lynn and Peggy being here we are in Matthew chapter 3 I'm going to read begin reading in verse 8 then we'll pray this kind of catches up where we were before John is preaching and the Pharisees have shown up and Sadducees to be a part I'm not sure they really showed up to be baptized because baptism was for Gentiles at that point and I suppose really sinful people. So they show up to be a part of the movement, and John confronts them. He says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for your father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees, Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That goes right along with what you heard last week. And John is preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Judgment is inevitable. Verse 13, then Jesus comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Your word is sure. Lord, we rest in it. We trust it of all of our heart. Lord, this morning, open the word of God to us. Lord, fill me with your spirit that I might be a spirit-filled teacher and that each one of your children might be spirit-filled listeners, that the word might have impact in our life, that we might be conformed to the image of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The message is entitled, Coronation of the King. As I was studying this week, it just hit me that all of John's life was about this moment. The living apart from everyone. His parents have been dead. We don't know how long. They were old when they had him. So they've been gone for 10 or even 20 years. For the most part, he's been by himself. He's been preaching for maybe a year. And all of his life is about this moment. His whole life was lived that he might have the opportunity to prepare the way for people to come to Christ. Now, he's been told about Jesus, obviously from the time he was little. They're related. Their mothers are cousins. But we don't know if they've ever really seen each other. It's possible because all of the the males would present themselves three times a year at the temple for the feasts. It's possible that while his, when his parents were alive that he was brought and so he was six months older than Jesus. So maybe they saw each one another as children, but it's been a long time. But he's living for this moment. He doesn't know when he's going to show up. I don't know how much his 
parents have shared, we're not told, but I'm sure that he was told of their escape to Egypt and how, because when they were in Bethlehem, they weren't that far from John and his parents. And so they must have heard that they escaped and the judgment of Herod and how the, the Magi showed up with those amazing gifts that befit a king and then how he returned to Nazareth. He doesn't know when Jesus is going to show up. And he's busy preaching this message. And I think a lot of his message, he has this hope based upon Scripture, based upon Malachi chapter 3, where it says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And that's what John is preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Judgment is inevitable. And he's waiting for Jesus to come. Because when Jesus comes, everything's going to break loose. And the nation is going to be saved. The priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to get their heart right. It goes on to say in Malachi that he will... He was like a refining fire and like a fuller soap. And he will refine the sons of Levi. And so when they bring an offering, it's going to be holy to the Lord, not this stuff that's going on now. You can tell that's John's heart. And it's based upon truth. The Old Testament prophet did not see the age of grace. And then Jesus comes. John has been faithful. He lives in anticipation of that moment that Jesus is going to show up to his ministry. What an example. Are we living in view of that? We get so full of everything we're doing, even the good things, that we can lose sight of having that pressure relationship and living in anticipation of that day. And I don't know how he built it up in his mind. But I think he was confused. You can tell by what happens. But Jesus changes everything. And John has all this activity going on. And all this challenge going on. And this message of judgment happening. And then Jesus comes. Just those words bring such peace to our heart. When Jesus comes. I've shared this before, and it's really silly. It's just something that God did. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was just a dream. Maybe it was bad pizza. But uh, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'm reading Scripture, maybe like that line we have from Psalm 111 today. And I begin to question myself, do I really love the Lord with all my heart? Can I, can I say that? How much do I really love Jesus? Now, the Bible teaches very clearly, you're never going to get any hope from looking inside. You can examine yourself and, and become very critical of yourself and you're never going to get any hope or peace or security by looking inside and saying, am I doing good enough? Only by looking at Jesus. But I was having one of those times and I went to sleep that way, I guess. Maybe I was reading scripture or some book that was challenging me, I don't know. But I had this dream and Christy and I were at some movie theater and it was the movie theater in Cass where you go see the old reruns, you know. For some reason, we're sitting in the balcony. Never been in that balcony before. We're sitting in the balcony. 
and just kind of waiting for whatever we were going to watch. I'm sure it was something very wholesome and wonderful. <laughs> the dreams don't explain that. And then somebody said, Jesus is here. In my dream, my heart just fell to bursting. I couldn't stay sleeping. I woke up. What did John feel like when Jesus showed up? Just those simple words. Then Jesus comes. And we have it listed in English like it was past. Then Jesus came. But really, the Greek words that wanted the emphasis in it, it's in the present. Then Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, everything changes. Now it's real. Everything John had been living for, Jesus comes. He didn't come with an entourage. He didn't come with the kings, the kingmakers to his coronation. This is the coronation of the king and of his ministry as it begins. Not even his family. And it's a two-day journey. I don't look like what you look like when you're Jesus and you walk for a couple days. Sleep where you can and he just shows up to be baptized. Now, I don't know if, like we give testimonies, if the first thing someone did was they say, oh, my name is so-and-so and I was born as a young child and, and I grew up in this kind of home, but, you know, I'm here to tell you that God changed my life, you know, when they give a testimony. And so I don't know if John reached out to take Jesus' hand, not recognize him, because he says later in John, I didn't recognize him except for the one who told, who sent me on this, this message, said, you're going to know he's the one because I'm going to give you a visible sign and the Holy Spirit's going to come down like a dove and light upon him. That was the assurance. There's got to be. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, there's nothing about Jesus that makes him more beautiful or that we would desire him by his his physical appearance, but there's still something special about Jesus. So I don't know if John reached out his hand as we do sometimes in the river because sometimes you don't see the rocks there, unstable footing, and so he reached out and took his hand, and Jesus said, I'm Jesus from Nazareth, and it hit John who this was. And it wrecked his life, wrecked his world. No, 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 no. No, he's just been preaching. I'm not worthy to take a sandal off. I can't baptize you. That messes the whole, it messes the whole message up. You're the sinless one. You're God in the flesh. I can't baptize you. You got to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, John. It's necessary that we fulfill all righteousness. So simple. I've talked to people, usually young people that have been baptized as babies, which isn't baptism. That's just you getting sprinkled on. Because the only baptism that the Bible talks about is believer's baptism. In order to be a believer, you have to be a conscious person um, giving assent to something. And they struggle and they, well, if I had more education, if I had a little more, I want to understand this more. John didn't understand why he was baptizing Jesus. It was simply obeying. Everything we've seen, the amazing story we've seen, even up to this point, is about believers simply obeying what God directed them to do. We get in our mind 
when we love the Lord, we want to do these great things for God. If I could just do some great things, you know what the great things are? Obeying every day. Making Jesus the priority, not your business, not your job, not your family. Making him, that relationship, the priority every day. Those simple things lead to great things for God. In the Bible, there are six kinds of baptism. I discovered another one, but there's only five kinds of believer's baptism. Five kinds of believer's baptism. In the Old Testament, if you were a Gentile, and all of a sudden you realize that the God of Israel, that was the true God, and you wanted to be part of what God was doing in that day and age, then you would come, you would be taught in the law. If you were a man, you'd be circumcised, and then you would be immersed. You would be baptized, signifying death of the old life, identification with the people and the message of God. That's why when John, the second kind of baptism, he's baptizing people, this is a whole different deal because it's Gentiles that get baptized. And what is John preparing the way for? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That these people that are coming recognize their Hebrewness was not enough. Their faithfulness as Jewish people was not enough. They needed faith in God alone. So John's preaching this message of coming judgment and that Jesus is there and the kingdom is here and they come and they're sharing how God got a hold of their life and they're giving a testimony and John is baptizing them. That's a whole new thing. That's a second kind of baptism. The third kind of baptism is baptism that we receive when we get saved. Remember John said he's going to come and there's two kinds of baptism. There's either the baptism that you get the Holy Spirit and the sign is not you getting baptized into the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is the baptizer immersing you in the body of Christ so that you become one with Christ. That's the third kind of baptism. The fourth kind of baptism is believer's baptism where in obedience to his command, every believer comes and says, I was a lost sinner. God convicted me of my heart. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And I want to identify with the message of the gospel and the people of God. And we are baptized. We give a testimony and we are baptized. Then there's this kind of baptism here there's five kinds remember there's old testament baptism there's john the baptist baptism there's holy spirit baptism there's believers baptism and then there's jesus baptism that's a baptism of a whole nother kind why because he's sinless and i thought this was all about just i was a sinner and jesus died so i'm identifying with his death burial and resurrection the waters of baptism it's an outward profession of inward repentance, that I'm a new creature, I've been taken by the Holy Spirit, immersed in the body of Christ. What does Jesus need that for? He's God. But the words, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Here is the Son of God, the creator of the world, simply being obedient. What is he saying? He's on the other side. See, we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. The Savior identifies with our sin. 
he identifies with his people. So the one line that goes through all of those baptisms is death of the old life, identification with the people and the message of God. He's identifying with John, John's message. He is giving authority to John's message that yes, repentance is needed. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I think John, as he baptizes Jesus, is so bewildered. He's probably thinking, okay, now Jesus is here. We're going to see this whole thing turn around, and that's not what's going to happen, is it? And so you know what Jesus does? The Bible tells us in Luke 3.21, Jesus was praying. You know who he was praying for? I think he's praying for John. Oh, how he loved John. John who lived his whole life for him. Jesus later calls him the greatest man that was ever born in the Old Testament times. Greatest man born of, wisdom, born of women. Oh, he loved him. He could see the confusion, I'm sure. In Luke 3, 21, it says, now when all the people were baptized, it was public, it wasn't by themselves. Jesus just gets in line with everybody else. And I don't think they hear the little thing that's going on between him and John. He doesn't say, stop, this is him, right? He doesn't, he's, he's just like overwhelmed. So it says, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened. John didn't do any miracles. But Jesus knew exactly what he needed to keep him going through the rest of his ministry and the suffering he was going to be a part of. And Jesus prayed for heaven to open. We're not told what John saw that day. What did John see? Heaven was opened. John could look into the throne room of God. And no, even though he didn't know everything that was going to turn out in his ministry, he was faithful. He was doing the right thing. Heaven was opened. And then the Bible goes on to say, verse 15, you permitted it this time. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. See, this is the coronation, and there are three witnesses here. There is the witness of John, who sees heaven open and knows, here's the Holy Spirit, this is the Son of God. And John, he says, I witnessed it. And I will tell you that this is the Son of God. This is the one. So the Holy Spirit comes down. Then the last verse. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Oh man, I'll bet John went back to his place, wherever he was living, under a bush someplace, touching the ground in high places. He had lived his whole life for that moment. He got to be there for the coronation of the king. And you know what? He's the only one that saw it. For the glory of God to open up for John. 
and hear the Father, this is my son, and see the Holy Spirit come down, that was enough. John still didn't understand everything that was going on. Later in Matthew chapter 11, it says, when John heard, John 11 verse 2, now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, so he he is hearing what Jesus is doing, only it's not the fuller soap and the fires of judgment and people are not turning And for the most part, when people really hear the message, they go away. So he hears about the works of Christ, and so he sends his disciples to say, are you really the one? Even with all that John had experienced, and what does Jesus remind him of? The Old Testament. Our foundation is always the word of God. He had that amazing experience. But Jesus reminds him, not of the experience, but of the word. You tell John, the blind see, the lame walk again. What is he reminding him of? Isaiah 61. When the Savior comes, these are the things that he will do, fulfilling God's word. John, you can have hope. I want to tell you, when you make Jesus Christ your everything, And you're going to have to fight for that every day. Every day. The old gospel song says, we're so easily distracted. Born to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? Everything's still not going to turn out the way you think. And if you're looking at the circumstances, you'll be confused, if not discouraged. I want you to know when you take those burdens to the Lord, He will give you exactly what you need to sustain you. He promised you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But we also have the example of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes down and we learn later that Jesus doesn't do anything except by the power of the Holy Spirit as your example, as my example. He submitted to the Father. He took upon him flesh. He operates by the same power that you have opportunity to operate by and that's the power of the Holy Spirit are you operating the power of the Holy Spirit well how did I know that obedience to the word simple not easy simply being obedient to the word and God will give you the strength whatever you're needed to sustain and living for the same thing that Jesus. Now, why did God give that experience? It wasn't for Jesus. Three times this happened in Jesus' life. Right here, when John's baptizing. Second time, when the disciples hear that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They've been on the mountain. They had that experience there with, with Moses and Elijah, Elijah J, Peter, James, and John. And First Peter, you know, he's the first one to be able to speak. And he says, oh, I think we need to build three tabernacles. And the voice comes from heaven. No, this is my son. The third time it happens, Jesus is teaching the last week of his life on earth uh, before his resurrection in the temple. And he says, my, I'm burdened. 
I'm becoming distraught with the burden I'm going to have to bear. And the people are, what was he talking about? And a voice comes from heaven the third time. And Jesus says, because, oh, it thundered. Oh, what was that, right? And Jesus said, no, this wasn't for me. Every time it happened, it was to be an encouragement to those that would follow Jesus. But the goal of our life is hearing that for yourself. Well done. That's worth living life for. I know you hear that over and over because it is the truth. God's going to lead you because of your varied and many, many gifts, different places. We're not all the same. We're not handing rules out, look like this, walk like this, talk like this. God gives us direction for each one to lean on him that you might accomplish like John what the goal was. Prepare the way for others to come to Christ. Your own children, the people you work with, the people you may happen to meet riding on an airplane because you don't choose everybody that sits by you. There's an opportunity to speak someone and look for that after, Lord, how do I start today? What do I say to this person? How can I start the conversation? Because ultimately your goal is to be hear from Jesus, well done, faithful servant. The highest calling in life is not what the world says is great accomplishment. The highest calling in life is to be a servant of God. And the greatest thing that any servant can hear is, well done. You did your job. The world probably thought John was kind of a strange character with his long hair and his long beard and his rough clothing and his diet. That was known about him. But Jesus saw his heart. And he got to hear that day, this is my son. Father, we thank you for scripture. Lord, for the powerful story that's embedded there, the encouragement that is for us to live each one of our days in light of the fact that we are connected to a supernatural God. As believers, we are a part of a supernatural church and we have a supernatural mission that we cannot accomplish in our own flesh. But we need you in our life. We need the spirit so we know what to say and where to go and what to do. Lord, help us to lean on you. And Lord, purify our hearts that that might be truly our one desire to hear from you well done. And then, Lord, with all the saints of all the ages and all the creatures that you've created, to sing one day in the great stadium of worship, worthy is the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together.